I have to take over here because Lainey is actually hysterical. She can't actually form words right now because she's dying. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I'm a talk show host in Canada and also an entertainment reporter. And I am so proud of the Laney Gossip website glow up. I mean, it looks really good, you guys. I'm Joanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer, a contributor to Laney Gossip, and a devoted podcaster who is currently sitting on a suitcase in a closet to bring you audio goodness. On this episode... We talk about Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, and whether or not, is she a wonder? There's a big, big Vogue profile and big, big pictures, but is there a big, big personality to go with it? Spoiler, we keep asking these questions. There is, however, a big, big, big personality behind Jabuki Young White. He is many people's Twitter comedy boyfriend. He's a punk maybe even a troll, and we kind of love him for it. This is Show Your Work. So, okay, I have a question for you. Okay. You know, you've been talking about how Beyonce has been very absent, very quiet during uh, the COVID crisis, right? Yes. at least as of recording time. Um, And I started really thinking about that and thinking about the fact that she's still a human being. I know she's Beyonce and she has every um, service and attendant known to man, but like all of us, she she must get frustrated in the house, right? I'm assuming. Okay. Even Beyonce has problems, issues. Right. And even when you are... FaceTiming or Zooming with people or whatever, uh, you do almost get a certain thrill from being out in the world and just seeing another human being, right? Definitely. Went to the pet store, had a normal human interaction, felt like a million bucks, right? Yes. So my question is this, do you think she uses a different voice? Like it's Beyonce. She has this very distinctive, even speaking voice, right? So if she goes into a place with her hair pulled back and her cap on, is she also affecting a voice? Because if she opened up her mouth and was like, hi, I need some of the origin, original dog food and uh, three cans of the lamb, I'd be like, that's Beyonce. I know her immediately. (laughs) Well, in Homecoming, you know, the narration 
that was done by Beyonce, written for Beyonce by Beyonce and produced by, (laughs) yes, executive producer Beyonce. Yes. And it sounded like she was leaving a voice note. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That was a different Beyonce speaking tone than um, when she, well, when we last heard her speak in an interview, (laughs) which I don't remember when. It was, but it was still absolutely Beyonce, Uh, you know, like undeniably. It's not like you would mistake it for anybody else, right? No, no, you're right. I think that, I don't know, like, you mean, does she start talking like this or puts on an accent or something? I, I don't know. Or like, does she, hello, my name is Mary. I have no idea what she's doing, but, uh... You know, as much as she has like Beyonce voice and what was once known as Sasha Fierce voice, right? And as you say, interview voice is different than like when she's being all uh, performing and Mrs. Carter and whatever. I'm wondering if she has yet another voice that is, I'm an undetectable human in the world. And whether that worked fine, remember there was a video maybe a year ago of people following her around in Target. Yeah. Like, I'm sure she has one voice for like 2019, I'm in Target. But then is there yet another voice for it's COVID, everybody's highly attuned to seeing other humans also. And so when she, I don't know, takes her kids to the playground or uh, says, hell, I'm going to go and do the drive through pick up for coffee because I got to go somewhere. I have to assume she is this person. I have to assume she needs to go places also, right? I don't know. Like her, her, their home is something like $80 million. There are lots of places to go. And I think that maybe being Beyonce prepared her for like lockdown, because as we know, she disappears for a long time. Like she can move around undetected, no problem. So I don't know, like, for example, same with Tom Cruise. He only resurfaces what, like every four months or five months, because their lives, the, when you're at that level and you're that secretive, already partly like lockdown life anyway. Yeah, but that's when it's by choice, you know, like that's when I am going underground so nobody can find me. But I don't care who you are. When you are sick of seeing the same four to five faces in your home and you're like, I am going out of doors. I know there's nowhere really to go. I'm just wondering if her desire to see uh, a human face, dare I say a stranger, is superseded by her need for privacy. See, I don't agree with you. I think that's where we fundamentally disagree. I don't think that Beyonce needs to see fresh faces. I think she's still seeing the faces that she wants to see and likes to see. We just don't know about it. And I don't think she needs to see your face or my face or the face of like a checkout person at Target or... Like, I don't think she's missing that from her life. I am not sure I agree with you. You're right. We differ here because I think it's all fine and good never to see those faces when you choose not to. But if you if you are suddenly told you can't different story, it's uh, it's Issa Rae had a tweet about this, right? Like she was like, I used to think I was a a homebody, like a stay at home person. And it turns out I'm a I want to be where the fuck I want to be person. Like, which is not the same thing. You're a homebody until you don't want to be a homebody anymore. If I think that if if Beyonce wasn't the Beyonce we already knew pre-pandemic, 
who was very secretive and NDAs all over the place and you never know who she hangs out with. Like, I mean, this is a woman who she and Jay-Z hosted a Halloween party. Nobody knows what she was for Halloween. I'm not talking no pictures. People didn't even talk about it. There wasn't even a rumor. Like there wasn't even a slip. Um, and so I think that she's just able to lock it down so tightly that I think she's getting the contact that she needs with friends. I mean, I'm sure Beyonce and Kelly have seen each other in the last month. I'm sure of it. You mean in real life, like not FaceTime? Correct. Yes. Uh... And I'm sure she's seen Solange. I am sure that she's seen Miss Tina. Um, and so I think that she, the people that she sees regularly that we're missing seeing, like, you know, on, on weekends, it's hard. I, I've mentioned before, I think on week, the hard weekends are really hard for me because we can't see the people we love seeing on the weekends. I don't think Beyonce has that problem. Well, I mean, look, if you're suggesting that her quarantine is different than our quarantine because uh, she can like helipad from her place to her mother's place and then sit at an appropriate social distance, I guess. But that's, but people do that in their cars without getting out of the cars. That's not what I'm getting at here. I am specifically talking about the human need to look at somebody that you're not living with or annoyed by. And I am further talking about whether or not she has uh, a normal person voice to disguise from the fact that she's Beyonce. Yeah, I, I I say no and no to that simply because I don't think Beyonce needs to see any more than the people she's already seeing. Yeah, we got that. But I'm rejecting that premise and I'm saying no. if she does, you don't th no you think that in that case, nah, that's not fair. You have to play along with the game. Yes, and. <laughs> but in that event, you believe that she uh, just uses her regular Beyonce-esque voice. Yes? She uses her, her voice notes voice. Okay. All right. Yeah. She uses the voice that requires no performance because any voice that isn't hers, to your point, a fake voice or like a voice that she has to put on requires a performance. And I think Beyonce knows well enough that when she is performing, even though she is performing to underperform, a light still goes on in her face and then the like the jig is up. Okay. To be continued. The minute, yeah. The minute you activate that gene in Beyonce, then she becomes Beyonce. I suspect that there are going to be people listening who disagree with you, um, but let's find out. Let's see where we go. Well, I think that the difference here is that you are trying to humanize Beyonce, and I refuse to see Beyonce with the same flaws and human features that we have. I appreciate <laughs> that, but this is these are un, unparalleled times, and if she's using this time to be your queen and to write the quintessential album of what it is to be isolated in a pandemic. Oh, please, please. If she is writing about that, I'm just telling you, if that is the case, then there's also going to be a track about how she's sick of seeing those beautiful faces that she lives with. I'm just, I'm stamping it right now. <laughs> okay. Um, let us start with our show your work, work like, dilemmas or questions of the week. Um, a story I pitched to you, which was Gal Gadot on the cover of American Vogue. Um, well, it was supposed to be ahead of the release of Wonder Woman 1984, which now we know has been for now pushed back to August. Right. Uh, 
it was supposed to come out in June. Highly anticipated, probably was supposed to be and will likely be if well, we if we go if we ever go to the movies again. The um the biggest movie probably of 2020. Well, uh, sure, but let's go back there for a bit. You said uh, now pushed to August. Correct. And so is that now pushed to August for an anticipated theatrical release still? Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, the reason I ask is you said the the most highly anticipated movie, and maybe, but the thing is, uh, it was in June so that it could be a giant banger summer movie, correct? Right. And... You know, everything is going to be different, so nothing makes sense anymore. But what if we can't go to the movies until October 15th? That's when the prestige pictures start to come out. Um, Do you still program it then? Or do you wait for a theoretical other summer season? Or would it blow away all of the, like, is every convention going to be thrown out? I don't know, because they're running into, like, if, to your point, like, to your hypothesis, if it, if it runs into October, then they get real close to Black Widow, right? And the whole point was, you know, they like to separate these kinds of movies, you know, you don't release Superman when Captain America is coming out or whatever. And so it's the same with Wonder Woman and Black Widow. And Black Widow was supposed to come out really right around now. Yes. And Black Widow has been pushed to the fall, I believe November. So if you wait until the fall for Wonder Woman, then yeah, you're running up on like a Marvel release, Black Widow, the Marvel fan base, this, that, and the other. And also in theory, Black Widow aside, a different kind of movie going audience, right? Um, No, I think you're still hitting that like, for sure, in the fall, you have prestige pictures, but you also in the fall, I mean, they've released a Thor movie in the fall. They've done like Harry Potter's in the fall. They've done like um, Twilight's were released in the fall. Hunger Games movies were released in the fall. So they I, they do, they do re- like they, you can release like a, you know, superhero-ish action pick in, in the fall for sure. Okay. So in any event, it's postponed for now. So, yeah, this is a a cover that would have been, but isn't. I mean, it's a cover, sorry, but it's a tie-in that isn't. That's right. Right. I mean, no one could have anticipated it, and they obviously, like, magazines have these plans, right? Like, six to eight months ahead of time, so there's no way to push to whatever, July. So it is, you keep it that way, and everybody understands. Yeah, well, here's... Like it's not like anybody would have missed the obviousness of <laughs> the movie being pushed back for this reason. No, it's there. It's a. It's I get it, but it's yeah. just it's. Uh, what's that word that people love? It's it's not synergy so much. So now it's a profile that stands on its own ish. Right. Right. And and it really is. What was what I what I really. I mean, I'm not surprised that she's the one covering Vogue because she's Wonder Woman, right? And this is such a big movie and it's timed, well, it was timed for this. What surprises me, though, is that even though she's Wonder Woman and the first movie was a big hit, um, she's still, I wouldn't say, like a household name. Even in the, the Vogue piece... Um, there's like a a line or two in there that talks about how people don't know her for being Gal Gadot. So there are many times when she can walk down the street and you would say, that woman is beautiful. 
but there would be no like screaming and being like, oh my God, it's Angelina Jolie, Scarlett Johansson, whatever. You know what I mean? Well, I do. And obviously I think that's partly because uh, often when somebody's doing one of these big franchises, they are doing something else in the meantime that's almost counter-programming, right? Uh, The Twilight movies, for example, were shot mostly back to back to back. But here and there, uh, when the stars tried to do something else, they tried to do something very much not not like Twilight, right? I'm remembering a very terrible Robert Pattinson movie that I saw or, you know, in and around the releases, you have Kristen Stewart playing Julianne playing Julianne Moore's daughter in Still Alice or et cetera, that kind of thing. Um, But Gal Gadot at this point doesn't have counter-programming. There's nothing else that's encouraging people to see her in another also way or to say she's Wonder Woman and also this other totally different thing. Agree, agree. And- It goes into, um, in this piece in Vogue, it goes into she and her husband have a production company and they are working on non-Wonder Woman projects for her. But, I mean, come on now. Right now and for the foreseeable future, it's Wonder Woman. Right. And that's even before we get into, I said, oh, people make movies in between or, you know, another kind of hilarious one is Anna Kendrick making Up in the Air in between the, uh, the Twilight films, right? Yeah. And then talking all the time about how people made fun of them. And she's like, um, they let me eat. I think <laughs> up in the air, maybe paid my phone bill one day. <laughs> um, so there's that. And there's, uh, as you mentioned, they talk about this production company that they're coming up with. Uh, but yeah, A, the films are going, the films that they mentioned, they only mentioned one, but it's about uh, Hedy Lamar. And I think mm-hmm. the subtitle of the film is like the most beautiful woman on film or something like that. We'll link to the official Vogue piece. And that's going to be her too. Like, I mean, at this point, people don't have much to describe her with, right? Right. There's uh, Wonder Woman and, uh, oh yeah, that girl, that pretty girl. And that's kind of it. And also, you know, especially now, even before the pandemic, Typically, if there's a celebrity who covers Vogue or Vanity Fair and they do an interview, you see it trending a little bit on social media. It's excerpted. People write articles about the article. Um, nobody cared. Like, I, I honestly didn't see any commentary on it in my circles, in my bubble at least. And it's kind of my job to pay attention to whether or not, like, big magazine articles land and if there's a poll quote that everybody's talking about, but it kind of came and went. Well, you know, I have two kind of related thoughts about that. Um, One of the reasons that I think people click on profiles like these is to go, oh, I can't wait to find out more about this person, right? Um, And in the first place, this person hasn't created all that much of an air of mystery. Uh, the interviews are fine, cheerful. Um, <laughs> wow, Duanna. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, fine, I 
cheerful. They are. I Look, I think she's very endearing to watch. I've watched interviews with her, but I don't think she's mysterious necessarily, nor am I looking at a performance of hers going, wow, how did she get to that place? I really want to know more about her and maybe this long form piece will will show me, right? Yep. Um, and we can get into whether or not the piece did or didn't reveal anything new. However, the other part of this conversation uh, and the part that was actively not mentioned in the Vogue piece is that uh, Gal Gadot got quite a few headlines a couple of weeks ago for a really like ill-timed or ill-conceived celebrity imagine video, right? It was earnest in a bad way. It was quite earnest in a bad way. It was singing, let's all come together. The question being, for what? Yes. And so A, I think there are some people who maybe are ready to roll their eyes at her and go, eh, I don't need to click on something. Or the other side of that is if she were more famous, if she were, I think, uh, you know, to your point, if you said she's not quite that well known just yet, maybe that would have stuck to her more. You know, the, it's it's a double-edged sword where not quite being a full-fledged celebrity just yet, where we know what her Starbucks order is and we follow, you know, can identify her children means that she was protected from the worst fallout of that poorly chosen celebrity flex. And yet, as you're saying, double-edged sword on the other side of that sword, celebrities genuinely, celebrities generally don't want to not have made as big of a headline because you're not that famous yet. That is not what any celebrity wants to hear. No, for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, uh, by all accounts, this is going to be a successful profile piece in that, like, uh, remember last week, we were talking about Ladarius Marshall, I think I got five seconds in before I was like, and the pictures. In this profile, the pictures are gorgeous. Uh, Gal Gadot is gorgeous. But yeah, and like, <laughs> yeah, so what? It's it's a non issue. So it's going to be a, a beautiful cover. Uh, you know, the, the piece is fine. The photo spread is gorgeous, but what would move the needle one way or the other from, Hey, we already know she's gorgeous is anything that let us in on anything. And did you feel this piece gave you anything that you didn't already know? No, I, I, the, uh, I, that's not fair. The thing that I found most interesting isn't likely something that was intentional on her part. But those are so, always the best kinds. And but I don't even mean unintentional in a fun way. Okay. What's most interesting, what's most interesting to me to talk about in a very broad theoretical way is whether or not when you play a character like Wonder Woman in real life you have to kind of be Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman is like, she cares about humanity mm -hmm. and she wants the best for everyone and she wants to believe in each other, right? All that. Imagine, <laughs> basically the song Imagine. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> and 
when you read the profile, she is described by the writer, and maybe this is intentional, on the part of the writer Uh to portray her as the epitome of grace, the kindest best friend, the woman who loves her family above all else. She's dedicated to her mom. She's dedicated to her children. She's so sweet and thoughtful. And these are virtually the same qualities as the character. Fine. But if Gal Gadot was a little sassy, had a dirty sense of humor, was gossipy and prone to the same pettiness that we all succumb to, could it be possible? Is it even possible for her to perform those qualities, to show them to us when you are Wonder Woman? Right. And or, I mean, the closest we get to that, I suppose, is when she talks about having been frustrated with the industry, right? Like, oh, uh, she has a good quote where she says that people say to her when you're screen testing, oh, if you get this job, your life is about to change, man. And then you don't get the job. That was the closest thing to any edge, any anything interesting that yep. we that we get. Right. Um, Right. And, you know, I'm on precious little computer battery, but I had to use up some of it uh, to attribute a quote because the thing I kept thinking was uh, the quote is what sprung to mind first. uh, And it's you look like little birds help you get dressed in the morning. Uh, which is itself, uh, it's a quote from Gilmore Girls said by Paris, the best character, obviously, uh, referencing Rory, who is kind of a a Mary Sue, right? Like a sweet, everybody loves her kind of character. And that's a reference, I think, to Cinderella. But that was the impression that I got of Gal the whole time. That she is, yes, charmed by life. That it looks like little birds help her get dressed in Mm -hmm. the morning. You sent me a really interesting pull quote when you were pitching this article and a really interesting quote for you. Uh, And that is that she said when she found out she got Wonder Woman, she called her husband, who's apparently some very wealthy real estate magnate who also knows how to develop movies. Sure. Okay. Um, Anyway, she calls him and she says, when I get done the movie, I want to have babies or another baby is what she said. Right. Yeah. And so you tell me why that was the quote that you pulled out to entice me. Well, I think that that's a quote that, because we've talked all the time about, you actually say this a lot, and I quote you, there's never a good time to have a baby. Like people can plan, right? So I just thought this was interesting. It related back to the quote that, that quote that I hear from you a lot. But you know, there are people who, when they land the job, the role of a lifetime or the big role, they're like, they do the movie, then they wait for the movie to come out. And in Hollywood, the typical game plan is let's wait till opening day and then let's see how hard the phone rings and the lights on the phone display lighting up because everybody's going to want to put you in their next movie. And she made sure to tell us this anecdote or this thing where she was like, I was determined not to change. And I was determined so 
to like to to stay so the same and to stay grounded in who I in who I am that as soon as I finished the movie I wanted to have more babies like I just want everybody every, you I want you all to know that family is my priority. Right. And that was way that was the way that I could ensure that I wouldn't be affected by this rule. Sure. And I mean um you know there's no good time to have a baby but after you just got a $5 million paycheck or whatever she was paid for Wonder Woman is not a bad time to have a nope. baby. So there's that. But um, this is maybe what we're coming around to appearing to have no strategy, appearing to be kind of above all that is Hollywood is in itself kind of a technique, right? Yeah, I suppose if, if that is. I think that if that were an actual fame strategy, then I would maybe care more. I don't know that it is a fame strategy more than a people pleaser strategy. Just a very general, like, here's who I am as a person. I want people to like me and I want you to think like, and I, this is not a stepping stone to the next job or a stepping stone um, or like something that my team and I have put together as the public facing image. And look, I, uh, who are you? You taught me this. Uh, you know, if people like you, then they'll go see your movies. If they see themselves reflected in you, then they'll go see your movies. To me, the question then becomes, who will respond to that kind of a quote? It's people who admire that stance or who wish they could take on that stance. Much, much has been made about uh, men not wanting to go see women in superhero movies. Uh, to your point about having to become the superhero, uh, I mean, yes, we absolutely, I think, saw it with, uh, with Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, right? And all the little girls who are like, I admire you. I want to be Captain Marvel. I'm not saying she courted those things, but we certainly saw a hell of a lot of those situations in the press, right? And I mean, Scarlett Johansson and Black Widow, well, does Black Widow have any qualities? We'll find out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a world that says, yeah, I'm Gal Gadot. I am a mother first. I am a I am a wife and a mother. The piece takes care to tell us about how the car is messy and has toys all through it. The people to whom that would resonate are, of course, people who see themselves reflected there. Maybe those are the people who go see the movie who wouldn't otherwise have gone. Are you putting that in Vogue, though? Or are you putting that in Good Housekeeping? Are you putting that in People Magazine? Are you putting that in, like, other publications? That's the thing. Like, you might have that planned out as a strategy, but where you landed it, unlike Ladarius Marshall, is not Vogue. As we just established, that piece came out like last week. Nobody talked about it. Nobody cared. Barely made a blip because Vogue usually is circulated in certain circles. You want to reach that demo, it's not going to be in Vogue. Now we get into the debate over whether something like a Vogue spread is considered to be part of her promotional duties. Can you turn it down if you don't like the publication, if you don't want to? Uh, is it considered to be part and parcel of what you're paid to do to promote the movie? Certainly appearances on things like, uh, you know, nightly talk shows or whatever, or red carpets, those are part of the gig. Uh, I don't know if you could turn down a Vogue, but 
no one can turn down a Vogue. Well, are you? Well, not no one, but you can't turn down a Vogue. Gal Gadot certainly can't turn down a Vogue. And I, I think that is what's hilarious, though, is that I think everybody who gets invited to or asked or, you know, negotiates to be in Vogue thinks that they can deliver um, Vogue and Vanity Fair material, like, you know, thinks that they can do the thing where they are the subject of a piece that you don't just look good, but, um, you know, you are intriguing. I guess I'm struggling with the thing that you say about, you know, is she that famous? Is she a household name? Does she want to be? And that I think is where we're circling. There's nothing more maddening than somebody who has a huge role like this and actually doesn't care that much. Well, here's what it is. One of the the best, 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 like things I go back to that you have, you said a long time ago when we were watching Gossip Girl and we cared more as everyone should, about Blair Waldorf, then Serena Vanderwoodson, and you summed, summed it up very simply. And what you said was, well, the reason why we like Blair is because she wants things. What does Serena want? We don't know. So I ask you that question, and I think that's the question you just asked me. What does Gal Gadot want? Yeah, I don't know, man. And it's frustrating to see somebody who, who has it. Uh, You usually get that in the second last paragraph of one of these profiles, right? Uh, Elaine chews thoughtfully as she finishes off the last tortilla chip and looks around the exclusive bar. Maybe the next thing I do will be unrecognizable. Maybe I'll get to sink into whatever, whatever. Uh, Then the AD rings and she's back onto set. And she's gone as quickly as she came. Like, you always have that thing at the end of what will they want. I don't know if she wants something else. And even the Hedley Lamar thing was like two lines of almost as if, oh, I better just shove this in here. But. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was very like, I guess uh, they say, to be clear, that Annette Bening said that they should be developing films and so now they're developing okay so even that idea came from somebody else right like exactly they they can't even own the thing that they're doing they're this couple now right he went from i don't know building hotels or owning hotels to selling the hotel and now like now he's a movie producer as you just said and she's wonder woman and it was annette benning who had to give them the idea to do the thing that they're gonna do next so again what do you want i mean uh I had to go back and look at the second last paragraph of the piece to see uh, if I knew what I was talking about. And so the second last paragraph of the piece, I obviously have read this piece before we talk about it, but uh, I You did... clearly barely remembered certain things. Like what? Because it was, no, no. What I'm saying is like, it's not like, you know, you and I read a piece and get ready to talk about it and we have it memorized. Like, look at what happened with Del- 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 uh, and look at what happened with Ladarius Marshall last week. This piece- Please, did you brand anything onto your brain? No, there wasn't a lot to cling on to, <laughs> except that uh, she's the most normal and that the Vogue writer uh, maligns a pair of, uh, what did she call them? Like husband, wife, stressed out showrunner types. I was like, wow. Anyway, um, the second last paragraph of the article proper literally begins, as Godot and I are finishing our egg sandwiches, the place begins to fill up with the lunch crowd. Ah. Uh, I start looking around <laughs> to see if there's anyone of note. Uh, and then they're talking about be admiring or being starstruck. And, you know, a lot of little girls must 
uh, go gaga over you. And my friends say, don't you get tired of it? But she says, no, I'm not. Uh, uh, And at the moment, Wonder Woman is more famous than the actress who plays her. And the little girls for now are starstruck. Blah, blah, blah. She says, uh, you know, I want little girls to be courageous. And so then the piece ends. That's the out cue. And then there are a couple of other paragraphs that are tacked on because of the coronavirus. Like they've gone back to get a quote from her of, since this is now coming out now, what do you think about this? Uh, Conveniently, they do not ask her about the Imagine (laughs) video. But again, it's all about her kids and about how she's dealing with the coronavirus in her kids. Does she want something? I don't know, man. And I'm going to throw it back at you. What, like, you know, are, do you care if someone doesn't want something? Well, the other elephant in the room might be, um, she might want the money. She might want that kind of success. And it's not something that we talk about. And it's not something that we almost know how to quantify Hollywood wise. But that's fine. If that's the case, you know, like that is something that you definitely don't talk about, but it's a reason to take big projects and it's a reason to promote yourself. Um, That might be the thing, Uh, but it's definitely not something that's going to be a pull quote in any of these pieces. No, Uh, no. So I guess like to go back to that second to last paragraph that you just read. Yeah. Like those little kids. I like Wonder Woman. I love Wonder Woman kind of like indifferent on Gal Gadot. So when I'm separating her from her character, I suppose for most actors, that's what they want, right? They want the characters to stand alone, their portrayal of the character, as opposed to like uh, as a separate entity from who they are as people. For In this case though, for this Wonder Woman, for me, then it becomes frankly more about Patty Jenkins. I mean, creating the movie, writing the script, giving us like this vision. Right. And and look, that's amazing. And that's the person that we want to follow. And, you know, you said, did I commit any of this to memory? I didn't. But I still have pieces from the Patty Jenkins and Chris Pine interview in my memory, like almost a year later. So to your point, that's the case. That said, I mean, uh, if it is all Patty front to back, you still need somebody to to look like the thing and play the part. And, you know, you could do worse than somebody who seems aggressively agreeable. Yep. But Listen, uh, yeah, there's not much yeah. that moves the needle here. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I'm not obsessed with her in the way that I thought I would be. Like, and I went into this Vogue piece hoping to be obsessed with her. You know, I, you know, when a new Vogue or a new Vanity Fair, I'm still of the generation where I'm excited to dig in. Right. You, there's you, always possibility, right? You wanted to fall in love with her is what yeah. you're saying. Um, I should say that her salary for Wonder Woman was a mere 300,000. Uh, so, you know, she wasn't making uh, $5 million in deciding to have a baby. I don't know if that makes us feel one way or another about her, if that's, uh, if that's more or less interesting, but, uh, I wanted to, to get that out there. Whereas, uh, for Wonder Woman 2, it's a cool 10 million. 
Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. So over the last month, we've been talking about how celebrities are getting creative with how to use social media during the pandemic. Some of them creatively fucking up (laughs) on social media during Uh the pandemic. And then some of them are getting creative and intentionally fucking up on social media. Or they've been doing it all this time and suddenly now they're celebrities about it. Yeah. I think the first time, I think... Jabuki Young White did it was in January with the FBI tweet about Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? Uh, yeah, it may be, if not the first, it was certainly the, the biggest. Uh, and well, the first biggest, and then it happened again like two weeks ago. Right. Right. I think that my surprise in this story was uh, learning that you were interested in Jabuki Young White to begin with. Uh, I was delighted to find out that he'd landed for you because sometimes I have my wee tiny internet darlings and uh, you say to me, who? Duanna, you love a, you love a D-lister, who? So I was so delighted that, uh, that he had come across your desk. And was it, was it a daily show thing? Is that where you found him first? Um, I'd seen him on The Daily Show. Right. It wasn't like, you know, and that, The Daily Show, I think, um, I've seen him on The Daily Show. For me, like, that wasn't where I was, like, pounding my chest and being like, oh, my God, like, this is the moment where he is going to be someone I check up on every single day. It was, it is, it has been over the last few, you know, few weeks, what he's been doing with his basic Twitter trolling in the best way, like punching all the way up. So if you don't know this person, uh, he was a, a kid on the internet who uh, made very funny comments very often. At the end of 2018, he started popping up on uh, The Daily Show. And, you know, he said things like, if we made gun ownership seem super gay, then maybe that would solve the problem of mass gun ownership. Uh, and, uh, you know, his quote about the Jesse Smollett story was, actors should not write their own projects. This thing had way too many plot holes. <laughs> but he really has come into his own, as you point out, in the past few weeks and few months over, uh, I want to say over the coronavirus and the pandemic, but in fact, uh, the world has been falling to bits since January. So he was just kind of ahead of the curve. He was. And so, yeah, this, uh, 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 and so this was like, I, the the peg that I sent you was last week, a piece in Vulture um, about Jabuki because Twitter has been suspending him for his trolling. Um, the first time 
that he got suspended, or at least in 2020 when he got suspended, was when he changed his own Twitter handle to the FBI and then posted <laughs> posted a, a message from his Twitter account, which was now called the FBI, quote, just because we killed MLK doesn't mean we can't miss him. <laughs> Which, right? I mean, <laughs> if you will have to put ballsy, yeah. So, <laughs> if you're not in the habit of scrolling Twitter endlessly, I have to take over here because Lainey is actually hysterical. She can't actually form words right now because she's dying. Um, and I've read this tweet like I don't know how many times. But it's, anyway. It's still his own Twitter account, but if you're not paying attention, when the images change to look just like the FBI's, and when you change the title name, you know the way people change it for like Halloween or whatnot, he's changed it to FBI complete with a, a blue check. So <laughs> if you're not paying attention, it looks real, real. And then you scroll by and you're like, uh, uh, pardon? <laughs> So anyway, he got suspended from Twitter, which worth it. And like, I feel like he would say. And then most recently, at like a couple of weeks ago, he changed his Twitter handle, his own. Remember, this is his own account. He doesn't create a new account. He uses not, his own account. That's right. He's not yeah. hacking anybody. Yeah. Right. So he uses his own account, but changes his name, changes the name. And he changed it to CNN Breaking News. Can I read this one so that uh, so that I can have the pleasure of watching you crack up? Yes, go. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joe Biden was very much out of the news. So this was a CNN breaking news tweet, allegedly, that said, breaking, Joe Biden is not dead. He's just getting some dick. We've all been there. <laughs> so, uh... Apparently, within an hour, his Twitter account once again was shut down, suspended as Vulture, you know, recapped. Um, and then what happens, as Vulture notes in this piece, the routine is always the same. Jabuki is suspended. His account disappears. His fans and friends tweet pleas for him to be reinstated. Just like any other, <laughs> like another light-skinned king, Jesus, the son of God, at Jabuki <laughs> rises from... <laughs> Rises from the dead. <laughs> Credit to Hunter Harris, the genius, brilliant Hunter Harris for writing that particular sentence. It's beautiful. And <laughs> there's there's kind of group credit all over this because you may wonder how it is that we're able to read these tweets. We can read them because they're quoted in the article, but we can see them and tell you about what they look like because there's actually a Twitter account called Jabuki's Deleted Tweets. They, in turn, kind of follow him around and screen cap everything that he does so that when he inevitably gets suspended, because that's kind of a part of his brand, that he then can, that they're then maintained in infamy, you know? Anyway, this piece in Vulture by Hunter Harris is... Yes. First of all, like it sets up the under 
it sets us it sets up the background, which is Jabuki always gets suspended from Twitter. But then it's an interview between Hunter and Jabuki in which we find out what it's like a little bit to be Jabuki right now. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's you cannot read this piece without having it wash over you that this is all possible because he is incredibly young. And when you are incredibly young, you have no fear. And that was really the biggest thing that I felt reading this piece was just the it was just the amazement of what it's like when you're like, I fucking don't have a net. I don't need a net. I don't want a net. Let's see how bad it can get. That's really exciting. And I I really like when he was talking about, he was telling Hunter about the Joe Biden tweet. So he describes it like this to her. Like, you know, he's describing to her what it feels like to be suspended from Twitter. <laughs> so, which I, you know, it's, I have never been suspended from Twitter. Have you? Uh, no, not that I know of. <laughs> okay. So it's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Especially since like he did it this time knowing what happened last time. So it's it's not like it's not like Jabuki is out here a complete virgin. No, and I should say people I know who have been suspended from Twitter refer to it as Twitter jail because the understanding is that you're going to get out sooner or later. Like it's they can't keep you off forever. That we know. Right. About. Right. So he tells he tells Hunter that what happens is that like when they suspend you, you can't actually go on Twitter at all. You know, you your account might not be active, but you can't you can't exist on Twitter, period. He right. says you'll go to a friend's page and it's like that page is not loading and then you'll go to your profile and then you're like, you know, basically he describes it as being snapped by Thanos. So, so, but then he goes on to, to just to say that, um, but recently I've just been like, you know what? Fuck it. They haven't done anything. So I'll leave the tweet up for like three or four minutes. This is the Joe Biden tweet. But then, but then they, I guess, caught wind of it. The Joe Biden one was literally up for maybe two minutes. So Jabuki tweets something. It's up for two minutes. And then as he said, I still got popped. So He's on their radar. Like, you know how the FBI has a most wanted <laughs> list? <laughs> he's he's the equivalent of Twitter's most wanted. Like, he's on the list. But they let him back on. I'm in I'm looking at this going, he must somehow have a positive effect on Twitter's bottom line. Like or engagement oh. or users or something, right? But I also think that there must be people at Twitter who understand that their product was made for brilliance like Jabuki's. Well, or assholishness like Jabuki's. Like, I, right. I adore him and I think everything he does is funny. But let's be honest, the reason that people say Twitter is a dumpster fire is because a whole lot of people can say a whole lot of shit without getting in trouble at all. In fact... His stuff is so clearly parody and humor. I mean, it's probably not okay to yes. impersonate government agencies. That's probably an issue. But, you know, there's shit that is far worse than this that then, you know, stays up forever. So, yes, I would say Twitter gets off on offensive stuff, 
sticking around. And I think that the reason why I wanted to really get deeper into this is because what <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I just laughed uh, in the middle of your uh, important point. But uh, one of his more recent tweets reads, uh, you know, when sometimes people say one phrase over and over again, like uh, believe women, believe women. And that's the whole tweet, right? Uh, this yeah. is a tweet that says, normalize having a huge uncut penis. Normalize having a huge <laughs> uncut penis. So, you know, I just, I lost my professional cool there for a second. Please continue. No, I, 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 I think the whole point of like wanting to talk about Jabuki is laughing and obviously appreciating his wit and his punkness. Like he's a punk. Yeah, he's a brat. Yes. Yes. But also... I think that he used an analogy about getting called into the principal's office. Yeah. And he is someone whose profile, whose work is being more appreciated, spotlighted. I mean, he's been profiled by Hunter Harris in Vulture. That's a thing. Um, because he's the kid who gets, who keeps getting sent to the principal's office. Look, he is the, um, he is the myth and the legend of, 2000s internet come true he made some funny tweets and wound up on the daily show like not once but regularly that's the dream right it's he literally made it into a media career and to take that a step further i think that there are a lot of people and examples and sometimes i also believe this that you can be funny on twitter and write a few tweets but then after it elevates you to being on The Daily Show, can you follow that up? Can you back that up? Can you like deliver? And a lot of people crash and burn. He can deliver. He's kept delivering. Yeah, he has and can. And I think too, just when you're ready to, there's a reason that we're talking about this and not rolling our eyes in the same way we would be if we were like, oh my God, somebody's TikTok just made them $3 million from like eating relish upside down, right? Yeah. And that's because he's got, I, I believe most super successful comedians are quite smart because you need brains to write comedy, but it's because he's got the brains to, to back it up, you know? They ask him that kind of, uh, Hunter Harris calls it an amorphous question, but they ask a really open-ended esoteric kind of thing of, how does comedy function right now and how should it? And after he, you know, sort of gives a, a couple of straightforward answers, he says, I don't think anything is going to be the same after this because it can't be. This, meaning coronavirus and the pandemic and the lockdown, has exposed too many weak spots in our societal infrastructure and how we interact with each other and treat each other and view each other. Who we think is important, who we think isn't important. Once you do that, you can't go back. So, I mean, He's not the only 20-something who has opinions like that. He might be the only 20-something who's being quoted about them in such a high-profile magazine. So to your point, yeah, that gives me some confidence that he can back it up. I think, too, not only is he highly intelligent, but I think that he's a hybrid of what's modern and traditional. So Yes, he clearly believes in the power of social media. He's used it to his best advantage. He's um, leveraged it to get more advantage and to get his foot in the door. And yet 
he still does stand up. He does open mic. He goes out to the clubs. We've talked about um, Ali Wong. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how Ali Wong really needs to do like six, seven, eight, nine shows a night to develop a certain muscle, to try out her jokes, to really put that buzz and energy into herself so that she can, she can deliver. So this is not just a kid who's 25 years old, who's of a certain generation and doesn't know how to like hack it out in the real world on a stage in New York with people telling him like to get the fuck out of here. Here's someone who for sure has, um, exploited the technology of his generation without turning his back on the things that worked for a previous generation. I love that. I love the hybrid model. Yeah, I I love that way of expressing it, actually. I mean, you always see the people who, if you're ever lucky enough to see a comedian who's a well-known working comedian who you love, they're sweating in between jokes. They're absolutely, you know, always watching to see what the reaction will be, no matter how well they've done in the past, no matter how many millions they have. I also love the way you set up the hybrid between old and young, because after that really thoughtful quote uh, that I read to you about, you know, the, the infrastructure of society and who's important and who isn't, he then says, it's like fucking your best friend. You're never going to go back to being best friends. You're in this weird limbo of like, I know what you look like naked. I know what you sound like during sex. So he's basically saying, like, I know what you look like naked, American government, which is real funny and also kind of alarmingly insightful. We almost don't deserve Jabuki young white, but there it is. I do wonder, to me, as I said, maybe I'm feeling my age, but to me, his the the youthful, what's the word? The the just the bravery, I guess, is oozing off the page here. So obviously his whole MO is built on going as far as possible, right? Those FBI tweets wouldn't have landed if they were anything other than all the way there. Um, So what do you think it's going to look like if he pulls a punch? Or do you think that, you know, Twitter is so selective that you aren't necessarily in a situation where uh, avoiding a topic means that you're letting somebody off the hook. But how do you stay sharp? Or is he going to make politically incisive TikToks any minute now? I think that, no, I don't think it's going to be TikTok because I think that we olds have ruined TikTok. TikTok. Oh, yeah. As soon as the parents are dancing <laughs> on the TikTok, I think the platform is done. You're done. Yeah. yeah. The fact that you mentioned it now three times or two times on this podcast really it means that TikTok is painfully uncool. No offense to you. Uh, uh, no, I gotcha. But I, but yes, absolutely. Somewhere there's an alternate universe where Facebook never opened up Facebook beyond the college kids. And they're like, yeah. fuck, we yeah. would be a whole different thing. I, it, this is a great question. Um, whether or not Jabuki pulls punches or uh, how incisive can he be as his star grows? Yeah. You know, I mean, inevitably when you have success in the business, you make business contacts and friends and you round out your edges. Look, if Trevor Noah did something disgusting, he would probably applaud Jabuki young white for tweeting about it, but most people would not. So um, yeah, the question becomes, do you quit a job as soon as you see yourself compromising? 
do you, Dave Chappelle famously did, right? Um, mm -hmm. He couldn't make the comedy that he wanted to make and, and rake in piles of money without making compromises. And so he walked away. Most people don't. I think that in the conversation about comedy that's been happening over the two years, you know, two, three years since Me Too and um, Hollywood has been grappling with issues of privilege and equality and representation, you know, there have been certain old guard comedians, um, legendary comedians who've been like, let, just let us be funny. We have to walk right up to the line. And we've disagreed with some of them and we support others. And, but also like the line moves, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we should say, I think it's clear from this whole conversation, but part of the reason that we're applauding this, this troll, this brat who says whatever he wants is because he is unequivocally punching up, right? Like yes. it is all, it's a 23, four-year-old kid, whatever he is, who is absolutely, you know, trying to mock the FBI. So I think that's one of the guiding principles in comedy. As soon as you're punching down, it's not cute anymore. And I agree. That's I, exactly it. Yeah. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, I, it's hard to see a world in which he's going to be too big to, to punch up anymore or where he's punching down at uh, CNN Breaking News. But I'm excited to see where this goes, given that this kind of comedy is built on being an outsider. What's he got next? Because I know that he was doing a movie, right? I mean, before the pandemic stalled everything. Um, the last I had heard before this, before, you know, his multiple suspensions, was that he was cast in a movie and I was really excited about it. Well, he's maybe going to be in an upcoming uh, Bo Burnham film. Yeah, that it, there it is. Which is super exciting. I mean, that's that's something I definitely want to see. That's a that's a combination I definitely want to see. Uh, and uh, he appears in Aquafina's Nora from Queens. Right, 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 right. I think that yeah, the one that I was forgetting big was he because he was delightful in something someone great. Yeah. Um. And, um, and yeah, Bo, Bo Burnham was the one that I was thinking of. If there are other comedians who work in surprising spaces that you want us to know about, uh, my favorite is Demi Agdijuibe, who is a late night writer, but makes a lot of really funny uh, musical content on Twitter and uh, famously did the homey clothes so tiny damn son uh, <laughs> video to Tiny Dancer. He's my like number one Twitter comedy boyfriend. But if you guys have more that we should know about across any platform, even TikTok, hit us up. Let us know. Thank you so much for listening as always and sending us your feedback. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be back next week. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.